Good morning. There's something that uh, me and my brother and my sister, at least I think they did it. I know I did it. I think they did it. When we had to eat vegetables as kids, you know, we hated that, of course. Especially peas. Peas were the worst. They pop. Well, Mom and Dad used to let us do something to ease that process. We'd often have mashed potatoes with dinner. And so we would mix the peas with the mashed potatoes, and that way, whenever you had to eat the peas, it wasn't so bad. Didn't taste so bad, didn't feel all the popping, mixed with something else that made it a little better, a little easier to eat. You know, it's one thing to do that with vegetables. It's another entirely to do it with the Word of God. And there are, uh, not just there are some, but it, it's the general consensus that we ought to mix the gospel with little pieces of false teaching, little pieces of worldliness in order to make it go down easier. It's that spoonful of sugar mentality, right? Spoonful of worldliness makes the gospel go down. You know, there's a, there's that passage read for our scripture reading, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. A lot of people would like us to consider the message of the gospel so distasteful that we begin mixing it with the appeal of worldly things and worldly ways of thinking so that more might respond to it. Now, of course, you know and I know that there's a problem with that, that, that to change the gospel in that way, to, uh, you know, there's a mentality that would say, if you like your sin, you can keep your sin, right? Whether that be the sin of homosexuality, whether it be the sin of uh, letting swear words come out of your mouth, or drunkenness, or what have you. That that's all right with God. Just come as you are. And you'll be saved. We know of course that to change the gospel in that way. Makes it not the gospel at all. And it removes the power of God for salvation. And so when you convert someone with that sort of an approach. You haven't really converted them to anything. You've deceived them. Made them a disciple of nothing at all. Because they haven't truly accepted the word of the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. But it would bring people into the building, wouldn't it? To change the gospel in such a way. And, and, and you know, there was, there's a lot of, of religious people who have as their only goal to put people in the seats, to put people in the pews. And they believe pragmatically that anything that brings a person into the pew is a good thing then. Even to the point that we will change the gospel itself so that it might be more appealing 
to a person who is outside of Christ. That's a line which must not be crossed. It can't be crossed by us to become culturally relevant. You know, there are some things we can do, and I, I, uh, I love the fact that we have, uh, are using things like a microphone or, uh, or email or a website or things like this. I like that we use those modern tools to spread the same gospel that was spread in the New Testament And that helps us to become culturally relevant because more people are online today than have been in the past 50 years. And so we become culturally relevant that way, but we need to be careful that our our hope to be culturally relevant doesn't change the truth that we are to spread. Two things we must not do. We must not change the gospel and we must not hide it. And I think we've got the first one down pretty well. But I want to talk about it for just a minute anyway. There's there's the idea that we are followers of Christ. Followers of God. And He is our Lord. Lord is, is about being King. He's our ruler. He's the one who commands us. And we do. I want you to turn back to Judges chapter 17. Judges 17, verse 6. You could also go to Judges 21, 25. Either way, we're going to read the same verse together. They say the same thing. I want you to think about this as you're turning there, that our world's become addicted to the idea that truth varies from person to person, that it even ought to. ought to vary from person to person, place to place, time to time. A person's truth is made up of what works for them. right? What works for them in the moment. And so your truth might be different from mine because mine works for me, but yours, although different from mine, works for you. So whatever works for you becomes your truth and whatever works for me becomes my truth. And the world would say that both of us can be right because neither of us is the other. And if we were, well, then we would agree. (laughs) So because there's no standard of right and wrong to which our world adheres, and you could even say that there is no real standard of law in our country because even that bends to the whim of the people. That our world closely resembles the land of Canaan during the time of the Judges. Judges chapter 17 verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And I thought about that for a minute. I've read that verse over and over again, but I never thought about where it falls in the history of Israel. You know where it falls. It falls before 1 Samuel, and that, I think, is what's most important to recognize. Because in 1 Samuel, you have the very first human king who was ever appointed to the people of Israel. Remember, they complained to Samuel that they wanted a a, a king to rule over them. A human king. Judges falls before that happened. And that means that the king that's referred to here must not be a human king because that would be no different than any other time that had ever been for the people of Israel. They'd never had a human king. And so what is the effect of that word? What's the point of that statement that there was no king in Israel? The point is that they rejected God. 
And they'd rejected Him by doing what was right in their own eyes. You see, the second half of that verse is an explanation of the first half. There was no king in Israel. Why? Because everybody did just what they thought was right. Whatever their truth was, that's what they did. And people would love for us to do that with the Gospel. They would love for us to cater the Gospel and to change its truth so that it matches what you would like to do. And and then over here it matches what they would like to do. And all of us can come together and do whatever we'd like and everybody be saved at the same time. doesn't work. That stops being the Gospel altogether. We can't change it. We don't get to change it. We don't have the authority to change it. Galatians chapter 1 teaches us that to change it is to be cast away from God. We don't get to teach a different gospel. We must maintain the standard of God, His will, in order to claim Him as Lord and King. Because if we change it, we're doing what's right in our own eyes and He is no longer our King, just as He was no longer the King in Israel. I think we have a pretty firm grasp of that point. But there's another side to this that I think has been tweaked by the devil over the years. It's, it originally started as a very good idea and good thought. And it still is a good thought at first. The thought is that I can more easily reach my friends with the gospel because of my relationship with them. That's true. And that's absolutely something that we ought to pursue, every one of us, in our life. We ought to pursue those close to us with whom we already have a relationship because there's more pull there, right? My friends, my, the people I went to high school with who are on Facebook, they're my friends, right? <laughs> Haven't talked to them in a long time. I don't know if they're still my friends, but, but the idea is that those who you have a relationship with, the people close to you, you have a special sort of pull with them because you already know them and they already know you. Hopefully there's a a trust that's been developed there and you can speak to them and perhaps guide them to God very effectively. That's good. And I think we ought, you know, not just we ought, but that's what God commands us to do. But then there's a, a way to twist that that makes it bad. And this, I think, is what has happened with a lot of congregations of the church, a lot of people in the church. And I'll tell you this, I struggle with this very thought. And so if you struggle with it and you think you're alone, you're not. You at least have the preacher who struggles with you. The way that some will twist that is they'll say, well, I must be friends with someone before I can spread the gospel to them effectively. I want you to notice the change there. It changes from being an opportunity to being a barrier. In one instance, in the very good thought, I can more easily reach out to those who I already know with the gospel. That's true. And that becomes a great opportunity for us. But then it turns to be a barrier when we say, I can only evangelize and I can only speak the gospel to those who I am friends with. And so our priorities shift as Christians. And they shift from spreading the word of hope and truth to a lost world 
to becoming friends and becoming popular people so that those with whom we have relationships we can more easily reach. That is a deception. That is an illusion. There's nothing really there. There is a movement in the church that desires for us to ignore our mission and to ignore it in favor of becoming friends and confidants. It's taught in many places and not always from the pulpit that to plainly speak God's word without any added frills, without any, any, any added thing, it's completely ineffective, they might say, and we ought to show people that we're gods or that we are real people. That we're real people, compatible with them in many ways, and once they feel comfortable with us, then they'll be ready to receive small, diluted doses of biblical truth. And perhaps over a series of many, many years, they'll be drawn to God by me. And so that allows us to find common ground, worldly common ground with people. We go and perhaps both of us like to hunt and we know a good hunting spot. And we say, well, boy, Joe, I'll just go and hunt with you after a while and we'll get together and that'll be great. Well, I'll see you later. And he says, well, I'll see you later. Never having spoken a word spiritually, never having spoken anything about the Jesus that we serve, who is our Lord. And yet we have tricked ourselves into feeling that that is evangelism. That that is our goal as Christians, to become friends rather than spokesmen for God. So many Christians try to win the lost by showing them we're not really that different. That ought to be nonsensical to us. To try to win the lost by showing them how similar we are to them. That doesn't make any sense. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. It's, it's time we open our Bibles in our Bible study time some more. Because what I say is just what I say without much authority if the Bible doesn't support it. Matthew chapter 7 verse 28 it's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he spent a couple chapters talking and speaking to these people. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, I want you to read the response, the effect of his words. It says, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. We stop there, don't we? See, most of you looked up at me and wanted to see. Read chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed Him. Why? Why did large crowds follow Jesus when He came down from the mountain? I'll tell you this, it wasn't because He was the same as everyone they'd ever heard. It was because He was so completely and totally different. And not just different, but because He spoke in a way that carried absolute God-given authority. That was so different that He stood out so much to people that they followed Him. And not just a few, but it says large crowds. Because He was so very different 
because he carried so much authority. And you realize he has given us that same authority. The same words he spoke are the same words we can speak with the absolute same level of authority with which he spoke. In a world today that is filled with think so's and might be's and not sure's, we can be absolute. We're commanded to be absolute. Look back a few, a couple chapters, Matthew 5, verse 14. Matthew 5, 14. Jesus fulfilled this very teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and, of course, throughout the rest of his days. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You realize it's considered more effective by a lot of religious people to hide the light and appear as one in darkness for a while. They think they will have a better effect if they can hide for a while and, and then surprise, I guess. You know what Jesus calls that? There's a word that I guess is becoming offensive and so I won't say it. But I'll tell you this, he says nobody does that. Nobody does that. Look at it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 15. Who lights a lamp and puts it under a basket? Nobody. You know what God's done for us? He's lit a light in us. He's given us His light. And he says He didn't do that so that we could go and hide that. He didn't go do that so that we could go and become darkness just like the world around us and then slowly you know, turn it. We don't know. No. Nobody does that. And so Jesus says it's not more effective to hide the light for a while, but it's more effective, in fact, to enter into the world as light and give light to everyone around. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to read starting in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now mind you, he's speaking of miracles performed through the Holy Spirit in those days. That's the power that he's speaking of. But that power brought forth the word which we have today with which we can speak with that same clarity, with that same power, with that same authority. And we don't have to talk real fancy. 
we don't have to have all the frills. In fact, God might consider it better if we didn't have all of them. Might consider it better if we stopped wasting our time becoming friends and started being spokesmen for Him. Started sharing the message that is so vital to our spiritual life. Started sharing the message that is the light He's given us so that others might be lights as well. God doesn't need help marketing His gospel. He wrote it clearly, succinctly, in a way that can be understood in even one or two sentences. He did that on purpose. Why in the world would we take that simple, succinct gospel and try to make it so very complicated? Why would we try to make... You know, do you, do you think God wrote such a simple gospel so that it would take us years to even speak it to a single person? That doesn't make any sense. In Jesus' words, nobody does that. And certainly not our Father. I want to look at another passage. Matthew chapter 10. As we come down to the end of our time together. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10 verse 32. Again, this might be one that we read the first two verses and forget the last. Therefore, he says, whoever, or he says, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who's in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus came bearing something that would divide. Bearing something that draws a line. Bearing something that gives people a choice, one or the other, and it's intended to be extremely clear. Don't dull the blade. Don't dull the blade. Let it remain sharp. Let it remain effective. By speaking it as simply and as clearly as Jesus brought it and intended it to be spoken. Don't hide it under the guise of friendship. And don't fool yourself into thinking friendship is evangelism. It's not. Evangelism can be part of friendship, certainly. But friendship in and of itself is not evangelism. Don't dull the blade. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Let it be who you are. Let it be the core of your being. Let it be the thing that when someone meets you, they find out immediately. And then from there, you can go on to be friends. But make the first thing the important thing. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I gave you as of first importance. 
that was about the gospel. He spoke the gospel as of first importance. It was the most important thing and it still is to this day. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Memorize that passage. Put it on your refrigerator. Make it your alarm clock in the morning. Do whatever you have to do to keep that in your mind. Because to hide the gospel, to change the gospel, is to become ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Be proud of it. Be proud of your Savior. Be proud of your God. Because He has done great things for us. He has done magnificent things for us beyond anything we ever deserved or could have hoped for. He gave His Son for our sins so that we could be saved. Promote that Gospel. Be proud of it. We will win the souls of the lost by being God's light in a dark place. Believe that. Live that. Today, if you're not a Christian, realize that everyone who's gathered here has gathered to brighten our lights so that we can be better guides to you. Jesus is the Son of God and He died for the sins of every person, including you, including me. And if you're ready to leave your sins and obey His Word, then we'll receive your confession of Jesus as Lord and we will baptize you in His name for the forgiveness of your sins in accordance with His Word. And so this morning, if you're subject to the invitation, I ask you to please come forward as we stand and sing.